Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's June 29th, 2023, and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and I'm here, as always, with my trusty friend and advisor, Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? I'm doing well, Matt. Um, I'm geared up for my annual celebration of our country's independence from uh, a tyrannical monarchy uh, that was trying to tell us what to do. And we said, you know what, we're going to go out here and get on the lake and barbecue some meat and wear American flag shorts and sunglasses and probably too much sunscreen and maybe drink a little too much. So that's what I'm up to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a day of grieving in the uh in the uk that unfortunately we we couldn't overcome a, a hurdle and uh conquer you once and for all um but uh <laughs> well i'm glad i'm glad that uh you're you're gonna have some nice relaxed time uh it's worth noting to our listeners we're gonna take a take a week out next week for for the fourth of july holidays and um we'll be back the the week after but that is not gonna stop us from talking about some good shit today, we got some uh, we got some fun stories, and uh, we're going to be talking about the much discussed, at least on crypto Twitter, Azuki uh, NFT mint. Unfortunately, we are going to be saying the acronym FTX again, um, and then Sailor coming in like a boss, <laughs> bringing in some more Bitcoin <laughs> purchases. We'll uh, we'll dissect that a little bit. It's uh, it's complicated, so they say. So we'll uh, we'll dig into that right now. The much hyped, anticipated uh, Azuki Elementals Mint went live a couple of days ago, and it is fair to say that. People weren't very happy about it. Now, if you're not familiar, Azuki is regarded as a blue chip NFT project. It's it's one of the largest and most popular PFP collections in the space. Um, I believe probably top five um, in, in that respect. They had been hyping up this new collection launching, uh, the first since the, the kind of like initial collection for the past a few weeks and the whole space was really excited. I think like the thing with Azuki is, um, you know, they have always been renowned as like a strong team. And while they haven't been without any controversy in, in their history, they have bounced back and went from kind of strength to strength. And people generally speaking, love the artwork of, uh, of Azuki. And they've been kind of playing towards this, wider narrative like the majority of the pfp kind of collections will often try to do but people were pretty amped up and uh they had uh allow lists for existing azuki holders to get in on the mint people were pretty excited about this and well the mint immediately sold out uh, netting the team, I think it was $38 million in 15 minutes. Uh, the controversy kind of began there because they did this whole thing where they kind of capped the mint time for 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, 10 minutes to get this. This is a weird thing to do because as we know, what happens when you do something like that? Gas prices get insane, things break. Like it was just an, and a load of like their biggest holders Azuki's kind of floor price has been 
held up by a big group of whales for 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 the length of their project, really. And I actually don't even say that in a negative way. I say that more positively in the sense that Azuki holders have had conviction. And I quote unquote would mm-hmm. say there's been a lot of the uh, diamond hands uh, in, in that community in general. It's kind of kept it, kept it at pace. But so many of those uh, kind of early whales, big community members missed out on being able to to mint a lot of it got bodied um as of course it would at, at that kind of um speed that you'd need to mint at so people were pretty bummed out there but you know i guess austin that's the, the typical story of pretty much any yeah. nft mint right like it's kind of we, we we come to expect that now well <clears throat> what happened and, and if you're not so familiar with like how NFT mints usually play out, what often happens is like you'll mint the NFT and either you'll immediately find out what the, the NFT is and what it looks like, or there'll be like a brief period and then the NFTs, uh, the actual artwork and traits and things like that will be revealed. Um, and you'll be able to view that on like OpenSea or, or whatever, right? When the reveal happened, people were kind of really expecting, they've been talking about this like bigger story and narrative well, you know, what they kind of saw when these NFTs were revealed is things that looked a whole lot like the original collection. And in particular, so there was kind of like this too. So the Azuki um, original collection, um, I think it was a, pretty sure it was a 10K collection. Yeah, it was a 10K collection. And it was a, it's largely kind of like manga style, um, hand-drawn illustrations of these kind of different various warriors, right? And it looks kind of cool uh, if, if you're into that kind of thing. And um, they basically just shipped the exact same kind of thing uh, with a bunch of them being animals instead of humans, which did look slightly different in, in fairness, albeit kind of still similar but then there was literally just like tons of these uh nfts that are slightly less rare that honestly it's indistinguishable as whether they're from the main collection or not so people kind of just like this feels like not a lot of thought has gone into it and i really agree with that there's no overarching kind of narrative that is kind of combined here and uh, to, to the point where the sentiment on twitter was basically everyone's like oh no this is all part of it like they're going to change the artwork there's no way like this is all going to be like there's going to be another reveal and the artwork's going to change as if the team just had time to custom illustrate like to, <laughs> to like t- ten thousand uh different nfts twice and they were going to do all of this but it just feels like a bit of a a cash grab, to be honest. There was a few other big mints that was uh, that were happening this week. Um, Ether being one of the big ones that's been hyped up for a while, and I think they wanted to front run that a little bit. And you know, this this just doesn't look good. It just feels like a just a thinly veiled cash grab. And I, I think that the the bigger piece in all of this uh, is that the criticism coming here is that this ultimately is diluting existing Azuki holders. When you look at what's happened since the launch of Elementals, the Azuki floor price, which was hovering at around 17, 17.5 ETH, dropped to below 9 ETH. I'm I'm actually just going to have a little look. I looked at this last night. Um, Let's just see if it's dropped any more. 
incredible. Yeah, so just below nine ETH. And what, what's kind of happening here as well is like you also have this it, with Blur, with, and we talked about Blur's blend product, right? The NFT lending product. Well, just a cascade of liquidations and the moment that uh, these like Azukis that have been locked up as collateral then drop down, get liquidated, they get sold straight immediately at floor price, driving the floor price down. Yeah, it's like a bad cycle that, that mm-hmm. happens in all of this. And <clears throat> it's such a dramatic drop. Like, for especially what you would regard as like a blue chip and it just it's really bad the, the other thing that i that i saw nansen great um on-chain analytics uh, firm they they shared a stat when they did some analysis into the holders of elementals and azuki holders like existing azuki holders currently own 94 percent of elementals uh it, it's just it's it's crazy and you know that is that they're hurting their their core base of users with with this move and i think what is interesting is in the pfp space in like this like collectibles i'm gonna distinguish out from like um some of the more like one of one collection arts that's less about like the pfp stuff i think it's going to be really really difficult for future PFP collections like this to to exist and be revenue profitable because since the ultimate like death of creator royalties teams now need to just rely on doing these large primary sales to create revenue they haven't got this ongoing big influx of creator royalties that all of the other early PFP projects kind of benefited greatly from, from all these secondary market sales. Now it's just about how do we launch more collections? It dilutes existing holders. It kind of creates a bad incentive for the team to just pump more crap into the into the ecosystem. And I think the most damning part in all of this, Austin, right? So I, I, was, I was following all of this and I was like, man, I... I can't believe that the Azuki team would like drop the ball on this so much. There has to be something to it. They send out a tweet, and I think this is the most damning piece in all of this. The the, the team tweet comes out, and this is like on the day. It just says, Azuki, it's always both challenging and exciting opening up the gate to the garden. That's their kind of like their community, the name of the community. This time we missed the mark. We hear you. The mint process was hectic. The PFPs feel similar and even worse, dilutive to Azuki. Who on earth is signing off on that? That That is like their main <laughs> statement. They, they basically just said, oh, well, that was terrible. Um, but we've got our 37 or $38 million. And, and basically in this thread, they do nothing to say that they're going to change anything except teasing because they also have these nfts the the beans holders um that uh that they're kind of waiting to see what what happens here but they've just basically said yeah no i'm so sorry like we've taken your money but that was really bad like the pfps feel similar and even worse they're dilutive to azuki like you can't you can't change that so mm-hmm. yeah that is not a good look for a blue chip product and i think this is on the background of the likes of board apes facing and yuga in general facing a lot of like 
headwinds. Their floor price has been really, really tanking. Even punks, I think, were down at like the 50th kind of floor, like not or, or there or thereabouts. It's not a great time to be doing a big launch in the first place for um for for NFTs, especially not PFPs uh, with the current macro. But yeah, this feels like a really bad execution alongside it. So. Yeah, so this this is actually really interesting to me because, um, you know, when I read that tweet at first, I did think like, oh, well, like they're being honest here. I guess it's nice that they're being sort of forthcoming and transparent. But to hear your take on it, uh, you know, especially for me as somebody that, that wasn't hurt by this because I, I, I didn't participate, um, it, it sounds like what you're saying as you sort of put on your, you know, growth and marketing brain hat here. <laughs> Uh, is that the problem is that they, they're not offering a way to fix it, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, it, it's just like, it's one thing to own up and say, damn, this was shitty. Do you know what? Like, you come out with something that damning, you better be refunding everyone and starting afresh. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like that's the kind of level, right? And it's like, you, but even then, how, how are you going to do that? Like, no doubt they'll do something where it'd be like, oh, burn your NFT and we'll give you something different. And like, but I heard people saying, oh, they should just redo the artwork and it'll be great. You know how long that stuff takes? What? <laughs> like, Hendrick like, Illustrations, a generative like uh, PFP project to feel way, way better. Like, I have no doubt, like, they missed the mark on this, but a huge amount of work went into that uh, from, from their team. And their team must be feeling pretty crappy as well. But you need to come with solutions, not just problems here. And rightly so, they've been kind of torn apart by it. And it's, um, yeah, I don't like to see it. I don't like to see this. This is kind of, if this was just a straight up scam project, we'd be like, oh yeah, well, that makes sense. (laughs) But this is like held up and regarded as a top 10, top five, arguably, NFT project in the uh, quote-unquote art space, right? It's like, you know, this is not a good look. And I think other teams need to be looking at this. And it shows that even the biggest projects need to actually deliver something of value and not just get complacent and look for a cash grab because it's going to bite them. Um, Yeah. So we saw this, we saw the creator royalty issue coming from a mile away right that was never really something that looked very economically sustainable so this is something that uh it's gonna have to be figured out you know revenue creation in the nft space is and will continue to be one of the most challenging aspects to creating kind of a sustainable model and I look at, <clears throat> I see like a lot of commentary around this. And it's like, I don't know if you've been following much of like Pudgy Penguins, um, Austin, <laughs> like that's just, what am I, like what, not words I thought as a grown adult I would, would come out of my mouth, right? But you know, uh, Pudgy Penguins, pretty big PFP project. They were acquired by, I believe a consortium of a small, a small consortium, um, uh, head up by, and I forget the guy's name now, unfortunately, but his background was in consumer, uh, consumer goods and stuff like that. And in particular, 
within the, I think he'd had a lot of like supply chain experience in bringing to market uh, consumer products. And he bought the rights, I think earlier this year. And their big push was, okay, they've got these kind of cute penguin NFTs. They have a pretty solid kind of community around it. They built out these physical toys of each of the the, uh, the the penguins. They've been doing like huge kind of marketing campaign around this where they actually sold all of the, the penguins as well. They, the, the products themselves as a cute kind of toy, well executed. They look good. And they got loads of these unboxing videos that they kind of incentivized a little bit. But all around the world, these kids, they're like, overjoyed with it like they they look great like like my daughter would love like one of these things right agnostic to it being nft pfp but people are holding this up and they're like damn look they've reached the mainstream they're they're scaling it's like well i don't know i'd be very dubious to say that they have actually reached many people outside of the um the nft holders community that are purchasing those there's a long way to go before that and then they're competing in the wider kind of children's product space which is hyper competitive even then though what next right like just more merch like that is still not a sustainable business that need that that reaches the kind of scale that it that the kind of valuations actually hold and i think this is where people really love the idea of gaming i know this from working for um a substantial amount of time in the 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 web3 gaming space previously it's very, very difficult. And that's probably the closest area where you can get to, to actually like generating revenue. And it is tough. It is really tough. Um, so yeah, I think this is going to continue to to plague the NFT space. Um, and I'm hoping we see new models around this, but ultimately like so, something's got to give, something's got to change. And uh, yeah. I think until then, it's going to be a tough place to be in. Yeah. As for that CEO uh, that took over Pudgy Penguins, <laughs> are you referring to Luca Nets? Luca Nets, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's an interesting guy. I've seen, I've heard him on a couple of different podcasts. I think he's got a cool playbook, and um, I do think it is a great example of them doing something different. But I, I think people heralding what they're doing as if like they've come up with the idea and execution for Tesla is is a bit of a stretch, right? Like this is this is merch. Yes, it's not easy to pull off. They've done it well. They're not breaking the mainstream at scale here yet. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there needs to be more to this. Um, and that is a good way of raising some capital, but what next? And I'm rooting for them, right? I'm rooting for all of these these projects that are trying to do this and make it sustainable and make it work. It's just really, really tough. It's really, yeah. really tough. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. I think uh, Azuki have got a little soul searching to do. Holders have got to uh, lick their wounds for a while, and I'm sure there's going to be more blood on the streets. Um, I'm sure that the community are saying that it's going to be a great buying opportunity, but you know, until I until I see something that gets me thinking something something's going to be different, I'm I'm not sure so sure about that. But let's jump into our second story of the day. We called it, Matt. FTX reboot talks have begun. <laughs> Better than ever, they are back. Ah, <laughs> oh, this is the comeback story that nobody wanted. Uh, <laughs> excellent. All right, <laughs> all right. Is, uh, uh, I'm only I'm only into this if S- if uh, SBF is is making a comeback. CEO, chairman, 
WWE style. WWE, yeah. He's with, the Vince with the McMahon of he hits Gary. Yeah. I, I want to see SBF hit Gary Gensler over the head with a metal chair. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Gensler is uh, McMahon, and maybe SBF can come in as like you know Stone Cold or something like that. It's like he's gonna be the heel. <laughs> This is it. This is it. Oh, man. Lots of WWE references for a Thursday. <laughs> My goodness. Um, all right. So, yes. Yesterday, the uh, new slash interim slash recovery FTX CEO, John J. Ray III, he's that awesome guy that's that's handling them through the bankruptcy that said this is the biggest cluster F he's ever seen. <laughs> is, is, is that John J. Ray the third CEO of FTX or is it John J. Ray the third? Just John J. Ray the Third. That's his name. Okay, I just want to clarify. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, he said that the company has quote begun the process of soliciting interested parties in the reboot of the FTX.com exchange. So uh, this is focused on the international exchange. I don't think FTX US is uh, <laughs> likely going to be revived. Um, <laughs> Given the, the the sort of circumstances in the U.S. right now, um, yeah, but Gary actually, wouldn't like that. Yeah, that would make Gary F- mad. FDX um, filing spot ETF uh, for, for Bitcoin <laughs> incoming. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is actually something that uh, John has been hinting at since January. I think you know back in November, December of last year, Matt, when the collapse was happening, we speculated, hey, you know. I wouldn't be surprised if some type of FTX resurrection did happen. Uh, It's a huge customer base, lots of data. Also, it is a huge brand, although um, insiders are saying that it would undergo a rebranding. I can't help but I'm I'm watching back uh, season four of Drive to Survive right now, and there's FTX logos all over Lewis Hamilton's (laughs) car. (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I mean they paid a lot of money for that come on uh they but did. yeah so it would uh it would probably undergo a rebranding um but here's what's interesting is there's a possibility that ftx customers might be offered a stake in the relaunched entity as compensation against their claims so if you were, can they just uh, have FTT tokens instead? Uh, <laughs> are we just are we doing the same thing? Uh, are we just oh. are we just printing to to pay? Uh, this would be great. Yeah, I, well, I actually, that... you know, on a side on a side tangent, I don't I don't know if you saw this. Um, I, I found this very very interesting. Someone uh, tokenized their FTX bankruptcy claim on a platform called Arcade. Dot XYZ, mm. I, I th- and and they they took a loan out against it all on yep. chain. Um, mm-hmm. Super interesting. Um, I think they took out like an eight or seven thousand um, dollar loan against something like eighteen thousand or maybe it was, I think it's like loan to value is like sixty percent something like that. But I, I'm super interesting to see that happening as well. I don't want to de- uh, derail us a little bit here, but I just thought. Uh, I, I had not seen that happening um, on chain until uh, until then, and uh, yeah, apparently Arcade XYZ does a lot of this stuff um, in tandem with like some counterparties. But very very cool. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I could swear that we saw not on chain, but something similar to that happening with Mount Gox claims, mm. like years years after the collapse, where uh, maybe like. Um, 
<clears throat> private equity was going in and, and buying people out or something like that. Yep. But I, I mean, basically, it's all just a, a bet as to the likelihood that the bankruptcy claims will go through a- and yeah. also the amount of reimbursement that, that, that would come through as part of those bankruptcy claims. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so what, whatever this is, uh, it's, it, 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 there is a possibility that it, you know, FTX customers that were affected by the collapse would be offered a stake in the relaunched entity. It's just going to focus on FTX.com, the international exchange, and it would probably undergo a rebranding. On top of that, it's most likely more than a year out. I mean, this type of thing is going to take a ton of time. Um, But with that said, upon the news, FTT gained about 20-ish percent uh, in value to hit a seven-week high of, I I think it's hovering around $1.79 right now. Uh, I I love DGENs. I just love DGENs. Oh, yeah, I I know. I I love it. I just respect the complete hustle. You know this is going to go on like some crazy tear. It's just, it it is just... going to be terrible. Yeah. It's going to be really Um, bad, yeah. But remember, you know, it was at $25 before the collapse. So, uh, hey, 15, 20%. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Now, here's another thing that I I thought you might find interesting, Matt. You probably saw this floating around. Over $7 billion has been recovered so far in the FTX bankruptcy process, which means that they only have about $1.7 billion to go to cover the misappropriations. It was calculated at about $8.7 billion. And if I recall, I want to say like six-ish months ago, that number, we were were reporting that around like maybe half a billion, a billion dollars. I couldn't find the exact number, Um, but it was way smaller than that. So, you know, the team has made significant strides. I think way, way more progress than we thought uh, they would make. And I was reading there an article about it and they were saying, trust us, like it's been excruciating. I, <laughs> I don't I imagine that. Have yeah, you seen yeah. it? Because I saw, a, I don't know if you saw, so far since November, um, which feels like a lifetime ago since the FTX yeah. implosion, but we're only talking like what, eight or nine months. The, um, the legal team um, and the team kind of responsible for kind of like managing the bankruptcy, have uh, have booked over two hundred million dollars in fees. That is a huge amount. Whoa. Yeah, oh, two hundred million dollars. Um, however, you know, like, and everyone's kind of like, "Wow, this is disgraceful." Blah 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 blah. I mean, they're doing a pretty good job, as far as I can see it. And in the grand scheme of things, you know, if they can, if they can get and recover a few more billion back and make people somewhat whole. It's going to seem like a bargain, but damn, they're making some bank from this uh, for sure. Yeah, this is a cash cow for them, no doubt about it. I mean, come on, two hundred million dollars in fees? What? Yeah, where is that coming from? They got to read. They got to read so many things. Uh, just, <laughs> I, can you imagine how many people are on this as well? It would be a, an absolute beast. But yeah, it's um, you know, we we said it before. I I still believe this. I believe we will see an FTX reboot. I I, I firmly believe mm-hmm. that uh, in what shape. I, I agree. There's no way that's coming to the US unless something dramatically changes. Gary Gensler having a come to Jesus moment uh, at a minimum. Uh, but like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Uh, he, he'd have to join a cult, uh, I think, for, for <laughs> him to be convinced to, to let that fly. But yeah, I still, th- I still believe it. I still believe it will come back. Unfortunately. 
<laughs> All right. With that, let's move on to our last story of the day. Mega Bitcoin bull Michael Saylor is back to his old tricks. <laughs> I know. We love it. We love it. Uh, MicroStrategy um, CEO Michael Saylor. You know that little software company that is 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 definitely just a software company and not just a massive Bitcoin custody service. Uh, just bought a ton more Bitcoin over the past month, probably contributing to a lot of the nice green candles that we've seen along the way. Um, they, they, they shared a filing uh, to the SEC. I was looking through that this week. They bought 12,333 Bitcoins for a, a whopping $347 million in cash. Unbelievable. They, yeah, yeah, they, they they purchased this between April 29th, June 27th, obviously spreading out the cost not to move the market too much. Um, they announced this on Wednesday. They now, get this Austin, right? They now hold 152,333 Bitcoins worth over $4.6 billion at current prices. That is a phenomenal amount of Bitcoin. We'll dig into like the thinking behind that because it just confuses me in general. But this purchase from this week, was, well, from the, the they announced this week, was the largest purchase they've done in over two years. Go back to the, the, the beginning of the, the bull market. Now, MicroStrategy, here's, here's what's interesting, right? It, they, I mentioned this, they hold over $4.6 billion of BTC. MicroStrategy has a market cap of $4.22 billion. Uh, so, Uh-oh. you know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, one of the big problems here is that they can't really ever sell Bitcoin in size because they hold so much Bitcoin that it would just dramatically move the market. And that, in turn, would devalue their balance sheets. So they're kind of like in this really stuck trade. And also... Their market cap, they're just in like a bad spot, right? Because their market cap is also going to swing wildly depending on the price of Bitcoin. Um, And I think when you start to look at and dig into how did they fund this? I was looking at the filing. They they mentioned this in the SEC filing. It's only a few pages, so anyone can go have a little look at it. How did they purchase this Bitcoin? Well, I quote... On June 28th, 2023, MicroStrategy announced that as of June 27, 2023, MicroStrategy had issued and sold an aggregate of 1,079,170 shares under the sales agreement, blah, 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 net proceeds to MicroStrategy for $330.7 million. So they issued shares in MicroStrategy and sold them on the public market or otherwise for uh, for $333.7 million. What they also went on to say as part of the filing is that during the period of April 29 to June 27, MicroStrategy, with its, together with its subsidiaries, acquired approximately 12,333 Bitcoins for, approximate, uh, for approximately $347 million in cash. That was an average price of $28,136 per Bitcoin. So... They issued and sold $333 million in in shares, in equity, in their company, to then buy $347 million in Bitcoin. (laughs) 
Like, that's how they're funding it. They have under $100 million on their balance sheet in cash. What is this bet? I love the fact that Michael Saylor is pumping our bags. But this is just a, an unbelievable bet. This is a bet that just makes no business sense to me outside of it being exclusively ideological. And, and I think that's what it is. Because if you look at this, they have doubled down. If BTC tanks, they're in real trouble because the value of their balance sheet will drop down, which will also mean the, va- the, the market cap of their business will likely drop down, which will also create a sell-off in their shares, which when you also factor in that they have a bunch of debt on that balance sheet, I think they've got a couple of billion in bonds that they're also accruing interest repayments on that they need to be able to pay back. How would they fund bond repayments and debt repayments if they have issues where Bitcoin drops in value? Well, they probably need to share, sell equity to to raise capital. Well, their equity is going to decrease, which is going to be horrible as a shareholder of of MicroStrategy because it's going to cause a spiral in share price dropping down. means they're selling at a discount to pay off debt while their balance sheet is also decreasing. They can't really sell Bitcoin because one, they would largely, like they would actively move the market. And two, it would be a very bearish signal to the market as a whole if MicroStrategy start unloading. And I would anticipate people would front run that, anticipating further sales, dropping Bitcoin down, which then again has a knock-on effect. MicroStrategy's balance sheet shrinks. They can uh, can pay off less liquidity. Like it's just a really bad, bad spot. Okay, maybe they could collateralize some of their BTC and loan against it. Again, doubling down more debt. But again, they face liquidation risks. They're in a really, really bad spot. It just... I don't know. This just feels like this is a death spiral waiting to happen, and it—I I just I can't rationalize it from an ex, like a business decision, strategic decision perspective. I—they have a ton of Bitcoin. Do they need? Is that what they need to do? Double down this? Like their software arm of their business, it, it doesn't generate a huge amount of revenue. I think it's something like. I could be slightly wrong here, but I think we're in the ballpark here of like half a million, uh, half a billion in uh, annual revenue. It's not a lot, right? In, in in the grand scheme of like what they need to plug. So, yeah, it's um, it's 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 kind of crazy to me, to to be honest. Um, I, I don't know how to it rationalize is. it. I I I don't either. I also don't quite know what to think of it. I mean, I kind of thought that they would have been wiped out six months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so- I mean, with everybody else that's been just, you know, completely uh, obliterated, um, the, you know, of all the sort of wild actors in the space, you you would have thought that uh, Sailor would have at least faltered a bit. Um, I mean, there were moments, right, where it looked a little scary. Uh, But this is really this is not a doubling down this is like a quintupling down <laughs> yeah um, but uh, with that said matt what do you think of that you know uh if you take away all of the other risk right mm-hmm. and you just look at 12,333 bitcoin for 347 million in cash at like a $28,000 average purchase price inclusive of fees and expenses 
does that feel like a good bet, a neutral bet, or, or a bad bet to you? So if I was going to, so I, I've outlined like the bear case for this, right? Which is, is largely focused on risk. If I had to look at this and be bullish about it, what would I, what would I do? Well, I think the one thing that I see as a potential way this, this starts to win is MicroStrategy are one of the single largest holders of BTC that exists today. Maybe they're the largest. I'm not quite sure. I don't want to confirm that. Um, but What's happening in the background to all of this? Well, we've got a load of these spot ETFs that are that are launching. And I think one thing that isn't exactly. getting talked about enough, right, in, in all of this is <clears throat> what that actually means from a liquidity perspective. So what is a what is a spot ETF? Well, ultimately, it's a way that you can invest in an asset. And it's that tracks its spot price value, so it's like current value on a uh, in a real time basis, without you having to hold custody of that asset. Well, someone needs to have custody of the asset, right? So the likes of like BlackRock, etc., that are going to be running these, they need to still be able to hold the underlying assets. Um, to actually back up the the ETF, someone buys shares in the BlackRock spot ETF, assuming it gets approved in in August time. Well, they they need to still like how Grayscale's worked, right? They still need to have those assets like custodied. Are they going to custody those assets themselves? Probably not. Who's going to win out of this? Crypto exchanges that offer custody services because they will likely be partners for the BlackRocks and Co's of the world, and others that manage very, very large amounts of BTC. So what could I look at in the most like bullish case here? Hmm. Could MicroStrategy be a large Bitcoin custody service backing some of these large um, ETFs, receiving big juicy fees as a result of doing that? Maybe. Maybe that could be the play. That solves the liquidity problem. That solves the problem of them not having to sell like the underlying assets uh, on, the, on the open market. I think that's an interesting use case. And I think that's something that is definitely worth thinking about in this respect. Are they going to be able to be trusted as much as like a financial institution, um, the like a, a crypto exchange or other like third party custodians that, that manage this stuff? I don't know. But I'm, I don't think the timing is, uh, is coincidental, right? And when these buys started around a lot of these announcements coming out. That's my theory. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I, I would say just like for me, gut feel, the 28K purchase price feels like that's like not too bad of a bet. You know, I yeah. mean, you put it into context of the the billions of dollars worth of BTC that they hold and then also the billions of dollars worth of debt that they hold. And it gets a little scary. But, you know, this one, if you count this as one investment, period or or cohort of investments. This cohort to me, I, I feel like it's either gonna do pretty well or like we're all screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Well well this actually when you look at their total holdings and you do the average buy price, um this does bring down the average a little bit. Uh, it brings down I think the the average buy price across their entire like hundred and fifty thousand odd uh, BTC is now sub 30k so it's like 29,000 mm -hmm. something um I, I 
personally, not financial advice, I think at the moment, any Bitcoin sub 30K is an incredibly attractive buy right now because I think we have some very bullish like moments in the yeah. coming three months uh, around these these ETFs. Uh, I think BlackRock is like mid-August. We should have the decision on, on that. And I, I mean... Bitcoin is going to absolutely crash if it if it got if it gets denied. But as we've discussed previously, I don't think that is going to be the case. I think it's going to be very bullish, going to unlock a lot of liquidity uh, for the reasons that I stated previously. And it would not surprise me if we see a really nice rally in BTC off the back of that. And with more liquidity coming into the market, I would also expect probably there to be a knock on effect, maybe a lag into ETH. And if we're really, really lucky, we may see some uh, altcoins flourish. Who knows about that one? But, um, you know, it's a it's a good time. The downside for MicroStrategy is that they can't just really start offloading BTC and they they never do. Uh, so that's kind of the other piece in this. But I do think things like the Although ETF if you think about up. it as like you have you do have to think about the time horizon that they're in this for, right? Because Agreed. Agreed. like they they have 4.6 billion dollars worth of, or, or four yeah, 4.6 billion dollars worth of bitcoin right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um let let's say that like BTC goes up to, you know, say $60,000 in in the next couple of years or something like that. I'm just pulling numbers out of there. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, now I mean, all late, of a sudden... late, late 2021, this amount of holdings yeah. would be worth over $10 billion, right? So, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Exactly. So it's not it's not sort of like an, an unheard of or unprecedented thing. You know, then at that point, say they're sitting on nine or ten billion dollars and they have some type of debt repayment that they, they need to make. Now, you know, the sell-off of BTC that's required to make that debt repayment is, you know, it's about half as significant as it would have been, you know, in, in 2023, right? And and yeah. we've seen the these kind of sort of logarithmic effects to, to Bitcoin in the past. So I have to imagine that, um, that, that, that is what they're, they're thinking. I agree with you. It's, it has to be ideological at this point. I mean, it's like blind committed <laughs> it is. investment. Like, um, I wouldn't, how does he sleep? <laughs> I just, I just got to respect it. I could not, I'd be up every waking moment. Like it'd be, it, it would, the anxiety would be too much, but Man, you got to give it to him. He is he is stuck to it. Um, I think the real kind of question that we got to ask is, can Sailor last the CEO? You know, there's a lot of people mm-hmm. that are not happy about him and the way he's running this business. That would be pretty catastrophic for this whole playbook if he didn't last there and there's a big change of plan. Um, so <clears throat> something, something else to kind of think about in, in amongst all of this, but am I the only one that, and this is, he, this is a terrible comparison to make, but am I the only one here that gets sort of like this weird John McAfee, uh, feel about this whole situation of like, not like the, you know, potentially murdering less, less or, guns or, and, uh, boats, yeah, yeah. but yes, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. I, I, I get the kind of, he's like, uh, a, a saner version of John McAfee, um, which mm-hmm. in fairness, the bar is very low there. Uh, John McAfee, <laughs> uh, rest in peace, was an absolute full-blown lunatic. Uh, let's, let's not shy away from that. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's elements here. I mean, ideologically, yes. Um, and, you know, I think that's the kind of 
Sailor embodies the OG Bitcoin laser eye cohort. Yeah. And he has conviction unmatched by anyone in the space, in my opinion. Anyone. Right? He, mm-hmm. he, he, uh, the size and the, the stakes that he's, he's, he's operating and, and uh, executing on, he is unmatched. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's either going to uh, go, go to the, the wonderful Valhalla or he is going to be in complete despair. There's nothing in between. Uh, we'll see how that story plays out over the, the coming decade. But I think <clears throat> overall, it's been a super exciting week in all honesty. Pretty bearish on the NFT side, pretty bullish on the BTC side. I think we're yeah, in BTC store for is up it. to like it's it's at its highest market share uh, in terms of like crypto the the crypto uh, market cap uh, yep. since 2021. I think it's up to 58 percent of the uh, crypto market cap in yep. in total right now, um, which is yeah. I mean, very bullish for BTC. Agreed. Couldn't agree more. Wow, this has been great. Austin, we'll be skipping next week. So I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Hope you enjoy the holidays. Thanks everyone for listening. We hope you have a great, uh, enjoyable, relaxing week next time. And uh, I just hope that you you weren't an Azuki holder. Um, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> see you, Matt. Contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.